Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello. Hello. You join us in the pub. We're usually in our office, but we've uh, come to our pub instead. I say our pub, but we don't actually own the pub, although we obviously have designs on such an endeavour. Yeah, we've spent enough here probably to, to make a stake. Yeah, we're shareholders really. Yeah. Over a long period of time we eventually will have bought the pub. Uh, we're here because uh, this is the last episode of the first series of World of Three, uh, and we thought we'd at least sort of mark that so you know we're, we're stopping for a bit, take a little break over the summer, uh, so everyone can go on holiday. Including you. Yeah, just have a little break. We can catch up on the ones you've missed, if you've missed any. Um, they're all available the usual place. Don't forget to sort of rate us and uh, if you enjoyed it and, and say nice things and give us some stars that we can eat. Uh, but we'll be back in a few weeks, other side of summer. Yeah, technically in the autumn, but it's not actually the autumn. It's the sort of going back to school bit of the year. Yeah, we'll come back then. But thanks to everyone who's uh, helped us out with the first series, all the guests who've been amazing and told us so much and given us uh, so much information that, that I just sort of shared it with us. It's been lovely. Uh, we've learned loads. Tons, tons. And we'll be back for a second series with loads more exciting comedy guests talking about things that they find funny. Yeah, so come and join us then. Thank you for your kind words and your support. It's been an absolute blast doing this and we, uh, yeah, we've got loads more to, to share with you, so uh, looking forward to that. And enjoy this last episode of the first series of Rule of Three. Thank you very much. a podcast about comedy. I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Joel Morris. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the magnificent Matthew Holness. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hi. Hello. I, I, my brain has been telling me all day, don't call it Dark Merengue's Garth Places. <laughs> so, I've, yeah, start off, Garth Merengue's Dark Place. Did it. Hooray. Hello. Um, and you've come to talk to us about something which you really, really like. And I hope it's something which could be broadly described as definitely an influence. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what have you brought in to show us? I brought in uh, the 
album of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The, the, the soundtrack to the trailer of the film of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I've got to say, what a fucking great choice this is. What a great choice. <laughs> I listened back to this yesterday and again this morning on the way into work and was just laughing myself stupid at it. It's so funny, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's great. It's a bit of an odd one out in those kind of early Python albums, I think, because it's it is the it's the soundtrack of the, the film, obviously. So you've kind of it's got a nice. Anyway, let's right. Fuck that. <laughs> I, I would argue. I mean, listening to it, and I was a big Python albums fan. I think I know what you're going to say. Go I on. think it's the best one, and I was really surprised because I remembered if someone had sort of put a gun to my head yesterday before I listened to it again and said what's the best one I said oh another Monty Python record or matching tie and handkerchief or something but yeah. weirdly this one which is really unpromising because it's a relic of the era where you couldn't buy a VHS of the or a DVD or yep. stream the film you just seen you'd buy the soundtrack to I don't know Krull just to remember the lovely experience you'd had I've got the soundtrack to Krull on vinyl you'd, to remember the lovely experience you'd had watching Krull so you'd buy this as a as a replacement for not being able to have a home viewing of a film that's right oddly enough this is I mean that's exactly <clears throat> I think the reason I love this because this was the very first time that I had any uh, experience of the film so I, this was long before I'd ever seen, seen the, the film. film never seen the film wow so my, my introduction to Holy Grail was literally the album so I'd never seen it so I have this sort of memory of it which obviously the Pythons in a sense created this album and they didn't want to shortchange people who'd paid to see the film so they you know they've created this entire concept around this album yeah. to, to kind of allow for that but I'm sort of coming or I came to it not having ever seen the film so which is interesting because it kind of gives it another a kind of level of comic frustration when you're trying to get a sense of the film and having these constant interruptions throughout. But well, I think they, that use, they use the, the inherent weakness of taking a film and putting it onto an LP and then make a joke of that by constantly referring to the fact that you can't see what's happening. This is a visual joke. And so they add another layer of jokes on almost to make up for the fact that you can't see how funny it is. That's right, yeah. yeah. And I, I suppose it's the concept for the album is that it's, being, it's been recorded while um, they are screening a version of the film in a, in a flea pit. Basically, the classic Silbury Hill. Yeah, the classic <laughs> Silbury Hill and the three ten showing. So it's a really run down, <laughs> crap uh, cinema, and you're getting a crap viewing of it. And there's a general air of crapness to the whole thing, which is delightful. Which um, they then spin in the other direction by saying you're listening to an executive. Well, that's right. Yeah. Home, this is. The, I think this is the beauty of it because it basically they the kind of the ethos underlying the whole album is and and Python as a whole. I think is that you know basically the creator world where we, we kind of know that everything is basically shit so we're sort of you know, that everything's bad and, and then they have the stroke of genius of basically saying you've bought the executive version that they You're know special. that you want to be better than shit but as, essentially the whole thing is um, is shit um, what's underneath it as well as the idea what you've what the original source material the film itself yeah. is a Hollywood epic done a bit shit with coconuts and, and, and right. people who won't join in and they won't the, I mean, the central joke of Holy Grail which took me years to notice is that no one can get this film started yeah. <laughs> as they keep there's the big sort of fanfare but lots of trumpets and then King Arthur comes over the hill and he's not got a horse and the first people he meets who are supposed to move the story on Graham Chapman is frustrated they want to talk about swallows and coconuts they keep stopping the thing getting started That's so right, you've, yeah. you've signed up for an executive version of cinema yeah. and immediately it's disappointing and then in this record they've added another level onto that of saying when you're listening to the record that won't get started either. Yeah. So it's just constant frustration, which is just epically funny. Hi, 
live from the classic Silbury Hills. Hello and welcome to the classic Silbury Hill for the 310 performance of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I can see through the door of the gentleman's that the B feature bring me the head of Don Reeve. There's only a few minutes left to run. The idea that not having ever seen the film, it, it, there's there's just that <laughs> tension of... You know, I remember getting very kind of annoyed. There's, there's a wonderful bit where Michael Palin... Oh, well, John Cleese is going on and on, uh, interrupting the film and covering, trying to describe to you what's happening. <laughs> and the listener is getting more and more annoyed because you can't hear the... And then you just get this wonderful, <laughs> really quite aggressive Michael Palin sort of just telling him to, oh, shut up. <laughs> It's, it's just so it's just lovely it's, it's anyway. putting these barriers between you and your enjoyment of the film and I suppose as a kid because one of the things that I've always liked about Python is it felt like it was naughty yeah yeah that you weren't meant to be seeing it it was on late at night when my dad I've said this before one of the formative influences in my life was my dad putting the Monty Python books on a high shelf so I couldn't reach them as a kid so I'd wait for him to go down the pub and I'd get up on a ladder or a chair and pull them down and know they were yeah. they didn't sort of belong to me I could access them which has been lost a bit now because you can access everything but the idea that you were sort of peeping through the curtains at what the grown ups were laughing at yeah, yeah and you could go down the I think I got my copy of this from the library I used to get all my records from the library and I'd, I'd get it out of the library and no one could stop me getting this out of the library it didn't have a film certificate yeah, yeah. it wasn't like a 15 or an A or an X or something so you could access it probably before you were allowed to stay up late to watch the television programmes or or get it out of a video shop or anything yeah. so there's a feeling of accessing forbidden comedy yeah. that they've expressed brilliantly in making the whole experience a bit frustrating yeah <laughs> All, this would have been an X, though, if uh, albums had certificates, wouldn't it? For that incredible opening, oh, where God. Graham Chapman yeah. is doing his uh, introduction and says there's hardly anything uh, objectionable in, uh, in the language on this album, apart from three cunts. You go, what, he started with yeah. cunts? That's an extraordinary <laughs> place to go word. from. Yeah, I mean, how amazing to, to sort of have been able to kind of completely control what you put out. You know, you're not yeah. they're not beholden to the BBC at this yep. point or anything. It's purely kind of whatever they it's do. It's thrilling. And, yeah, Absolutely. It you is. can feel that, can't you? can feel mm. that they're off the leash because yeah. firstly with the film which you know is a series of frustrations basically piled up on one upon the other then you get this album and they have added so much extra material into this yeah. album there's John Cleese's fabulous logician you know yeah. which uh, Rowan Atkinson cited as um, as a big influence on him he said that he identified something about performance which is that occasionally you have to find one word and do that one word differently mm -hmm. so his one was um, Bob yeah. In Blackadder, you know, but he got that from listening to this John Cleese sketch in which he says, um, I call it crap and it gets me very irritated because it is not logical. And he said it was that, the word irritated, saying that's what you do. That's a, that's a technique that he learned. There's another one in the album which I think is just as glorious and that's where uh, Michael Palin um, referring to the statue of Pan and he just fires out the word Pan in the, in the strangest way as if it has some great sort of deep meaning or, the, or significance and it's, it, that's probably my favourite part of the entire LP these little things what's, I suppose what's nice about these as well as just their LPs at the time if you went to see a film or you saw a TV program, you'd see it once. Mm. And having them as an LP was the first time you got to experience something that made you laugh repeatedly. Yeah. I remember putting this onto tape and learning. I was stunned listening back to it that I could probably have done it from memory. I didn't yeah. realise how much I remembered it. And it's because, unlike the film, which I might have watched once, 
around a friend's house or yeah. at the cinema or, or whatever. This was in my headphones and I learned it again and again and again and learned the rhythms like you learn a pop song. Mm-hmm. And that goes into your bones in the way that if you are a songwriter and you've listened to Elvis, that that's in your DNA when you go to write a song. And I think as comedy writers, the rhythms of this album and stuff like irritated and pan, they're in, you can't help yeah. They're, they're how you learn to write because this is a masterclass and it's a masterclass because you're trapped with it because yeah. it's on tape or vinyl and you can listen to it again and again and again. I think that longevity is also down to their great skill at, at kind of world building in that, you know, mm, the whole, absolutely. the thing about mm-hmm. why I love this so much and why I love all those things, but particularly the world of their Holy Grail in all its manifestations, you know, is that they, they really do create a proper world. They take the, the whole kind of Arthurian theme down deadly seriously in some respects um, I mean my favourite I think anecdote about the creation of the Holy Grail film is the fact that you know it, it, it wasn't really working for them until they found the serious music which they yes. put over the top yes. which suddenly gave them the tone of, of that kind of mock heroic tone Originally a soundtrack by Neil Innes using medieval instruments. Yeah, it's still in there, and it's and it, and and it really works. But it's almost like it, it works perfectly once it's kind of got the more serious orchestral stuff. It needs stuff to be mounted. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We found this. I mean, you must have found the same thing on on Dark Place and the, uh, and and uh, all the other sort of pastiche things mm. you've worked on. We found it when we did Touch of Cloth. We when we st- first started trying to do pastiche detective, and the first thing we did naturally, you go, we can do anything. So you yeah. do. Oh, the first murder will be. I don't know. Someone will be buried in marble. And you go, ah, ha, ha. And then after a while, you go, no, they need to be really killed with a real weapon. Yeah. There should be blood everywhere. Because for the silliness to work, someone has got to be taking it seriously. On one level, the motor of the story has to be identical to what it would be in a serious one of these. Yeah. And then over the top of that, you can play contrast. So you need the setting, the music, everything needs to sound right. Yeah. And then you can push against that with your jokes. That's right. Yeah. There's no point putting a gag at the level of the engine of the story. Don't replace the engine with a washing machine because it won't work the car won't go you need to have a, an actual working engine in there and it's interesting that they they're not looking for and in the original script they're looking for the holy ground and it's in harrods yeah mm. and you go actually that's very very funny for a sketch yeah it's in the grail hall of harrods and it's yeah. very very funny but you go, actually it needs grail to, hall is very funny <laughs> it needs it? to be in a castle surrounded by mist that's it and they and dwarf soundtrack like they, they kind of they do tap into the the essential myth the kind of the arthurian myth and that that does have a hold over it or no matter how silly and stupid it is mm. you've got that always there and, and I think that is that's certainly why I love it so much because I still feel that there's something going on beyond the comedy and beyond yeah. the, there is something about the essential kind of quest and whatever it is the whole world that they've created there which is very kind of authentically mythological and Arthurian I think that's a, a, a big reason why it just resonates more than than and, and you know, a kind of an average comedy film does because there's just a lot more going well, in well they carry that forward so, into Life yeah. of Brian where there's yeah. a real sense of the reality of what it would have been like to be alive at mm. that time behind the nonsense and it just holds the nonsense yeah. up beautifully because 
that authenticity. We found it when we were doing Unstrong with you that we the music was the first mistake we made, apart from possibly the whole idea of it. But <laughs> <laughs> really stupid. But we listened to a rough edit of it, yeah. and we'd suggested one music cue, just saying, "Oh, it's like a it's like a live comedy earthquake show, by This Is the Kit." Which music, lovely, fans. lovely piece of music. Great so we just kept music. saying, "Put the This Is the Kit thing in, like a sting in a live mm. radio show." And we listened to it, and went, "Oh God, it doesn't sound like a detective drama." So we went into the same album and found dozens of little cues within that album that yeah. could be fast and slow and things. And the final edit's got the proper rise and fall of a, of a drama, which is exactly the same thing that the Pythons found with, with the Holy Grail, is that if you put a funny soundtrack or a repeated soundtrack or just a sting rather than a proper soundtrack, that you've killed the world mm. living in. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to build that world, which again is something that you can see in all your work, that you build a world, mm. no matter how stupid it is, the people in that world have to believe it's real. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Where did um, where did Dark Place come from then? Well, Tell me it came from a dark place. That would be good. <laughs> um, well, oddly enough, talking about the serious tone and what the real tone, we, we, we made a big error actually with our pilot for the for Dark Place, which was called The Told. Garth Marenghi's The Told. Um, <laughs> that's that's, that's a, so oh, annoying to say. Great. <laughs> that's a great title. But it had, I mean, it... it a lot of the decisions we ended up making were as a result of rejecting what we did in the pilot because we That's went... That's what pilots are for. Well, exactly. And, but we went for a very, very serious kind of uh, tone. We, we thought that the way to parody, um, you know, a kind of horror um, episode of or a horror programme so was to kind of do it so over the top and pretentious and, and it just ended right. up being quite dull and too boring and pretentious anyway. And we realised that we had to kind of inject it with a lot more silly stuff than, than the pilot did and so we dated it at that point. We went oh, back, right. um, but all, we did it was for the audience to say, "Say this is this is where the joke's coming from." Don't worry, we're That's waiting. That's it. Yeah, it. just kind of guiding the audience a little bit and giving them a way into it. I think. I'm Garth Marenghi, author, dreamweaver, visionary, plus actor. You are about to enter the world of my imagination. You are entering my dark place. But essentially, yeah, no, it came from that and and it kind of became serious that it is simply because we made such colossal errors. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing that I thought connected Dark Place to this if mm. at all in, a, in an inspiration thing is not just the sense of getting parody right and knowing where the seriousness mm. and the silliness is, is building a world outside the world, put a framing device. Yeah. And the thing that I loved about this LP is that not only is the world of the film fully realised having finished that and they've got that it's in the can they then build a world outside the yeah. film of the cinema the sound world the characters the legendary of, seat 12 yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Sino-Soviet projectionist Vincent yeah. Wong yeah. and there's a world of people who are making the thing yeah. or involved in the making of the thing who are also realised and funny so it means that uh, as a proscenium arch and yeah. outside the proscenium arch there's more jokes that's right and, and, and so you know so that and which then makes that vinyl LP or CD or whatever form makes it a thing in and of itself that you can always go back to and kind of enjoy for it's you know for it's for the world that it is because that that world that it creates on that LP doesn't as you say doesn't happen anywhere else in Python so it's kind of it's its own little place which is great. 
The classic Silbury Hill, formerly the social club of the Andover Parks and Burials Department, was converted into a cinema in 1941 by Ken Paulson, father of John, in the Gothic Renaissance style. Obviously, the way to do Garth Marenghi, because you need to see the author. Yeah. Because the joke, it's a joke about Stephen King and Clive Barker and James Herbert and those yeah. kind of authors. But you need to see the author. So if you don't have stuff going on outside the proscenium arch of the television show you're losing a load of potential for comedy because you should be able to see those people was that there from the beginning that you would see the creators well I think so In the, we did stage shows initially and that was about putting on a live show so the kind of the, the, the event of doing a show badly was was a kind of one layer of joke so, you know so you were putting on a show but you didn't know what the hell you were doing Garth doesn't know what he's doing he's you know and, and you're putting on a very bad bit of drama um, and he can't possibly have that explained to him because in his that's right, mind yeah. it's going brilliantly so you've got that level of tension so that was always kind of there I mean in, in all honesty I, w- I was always quite keen to kind of focus on the story that he was telling and, and yeah. the kind of once you're in the world of his fiction but I think what was good was that Richard was, uh, um, was much more interested in the kind of the outside world so it was quite a nice this is Richard Aywadi who I wrote it with um, so that was a kind of a, a slight push and pull that worked for us because I, I much more preferred sort of getting into the, the actual you were thinking of it more like a sort of a Tales of the Unexpected you'd yeah, see him in yeah, the chair at yeah, the beginning yeah. by the fire yeah. come with me if you dare yeah. and then he chop and tail it yeah. something was pouring from his mouth he examined his sleeve blood blood Crimson, copper-smelling blood. His blood. 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 And bits of sick. Greetings, traveller. There's that lovely thing of you can always see. I mean, one of the great things that Python teaches you is that when you look at a character you should see through their eyes that they've got an inner life and there's something more complicated going on that you can glimpse beyond the sketch or the film that they've got their own little concerns which is why they're all pulling in different directions they won't carry on King Arthur thinks this film's important but as far as Michael Palin in the mud covered in shit is concerned there's a whole different film going on that he's the centre of and they're all pulling in different directions so the film can't move you know Graham Chapman's character always takes it completely seriously he's very rarely in the film if at all I think does anything kind of too stupid but it's no. I mean Arthur be- it absolutely believes in the world that he's he's kind of living in and mm. I think that's that's great because that gives the audience a kind of frame of reference to, to kind of take it you know that's the, that's your core yeah. core serious follow thing. him yeah. and he'll carry it through I mean, you don't want to do that with her I mean that's very similar to your saying that you were trying to pull towards once the audience are in the story that, mm. that Garth's telling don't let them go yeah. because actually you can get an audience can get lost I mean the, the level of detail detailing that you can put onto a pastiche because you can put jokes anywhere put jokes in the set in the props in the captions Python teach you that there's not a a spare space on the screen or in your ears that there shouldn't be a joke going on but that can be very distracting and it's quite good to have someone in the middle like one of those those guys for tourists who's holding an umbrella up come this way and don't get lost so that every so often you can get distracted by a funny sign or someone's stupid face but if you keep an eye on this guy I'll get you to the end of the story because you get lost very easily can we talk about that that not being able to move there there being no safe space in this because Python were very good at that especially in their books actually which are sensational for the amount of fucking gags they got into them but this has got it 
on so many in so many different levels this is this has got that you can't move for jokes thing yeah right from the title of the album which is the album of the soundtrack of the trailer of the film of yeah that, <laughs> the which we realised actually I realised this morning we, we we accidentally borrowed that gag when we did the book of the family examiner it was called the book of the website of the newspaper yeah. and I thought oh god that's that gag isn't it I hadn't Again, spotted that you listened to these this was school yeah. this was the course where you go and learn scales this is comics that's right. you learn how this works and you learn that and when you look back at the number of times you've reached into this grab bag of tricks yeah. to get a joke, and it's because it's you don't even know it's in there. Well, they're absolutely they're everywhere. They're like fucking mice. Well, be, aren't they? Before there's, you there's even a- get into the actual recording, you've, the actual cover of the album is yeah. like full of jokes. I mean, the whole the, the actual cover is a joke because it's sellotaped over something else. On the, on the if yeah. you turn the sleeve over, it's sellotaped on, <laughs> um, and it's and in the version of it, it's upside down as well. So they kind yeah. of even sellotaped it on in the wrong order. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of, and then all the credits and everything, every single, I think that's just what you're saying about the Python books. What's wonderful about them is every single bit, no matter how tiny there is a joke there. And you know that that joke will probably be only be noticed by a tiny fraction of the readers or whatever, but they've kind of spent as much energy and effort into the tiniest little throwaway joke that's, you know, in a font that's several sizes too small for, you know, human eyesight, <laughs> but it's there. And, and, you know, it's that attention to detail. So yes, you cannot, you know, the whole whole thing everything is it's it's rammed with gags <laughs> what that gives me a sense of and certainly as a kid growing up with mm. it is that no one's told these people to do this they're yeah. not that no one's sort of said here's some money clock on clock off finish a day's work yeah. which is they all came from professional writing jobs they'd all worked on doctor in the house and things and this gets the feeling of going this one this one is the executive version of our career this yeah. is the special job we get where we'll pour an extra 10 hours into this because we're doing it for ourselves and for the first time listening to this what struck me because it's an audio world and you've got your headphones mm. listening to this or back in the old days actually it's, it's a headphone listen isn't it yeah. it's like hitchhikers you just lose yeah. yourself in it um, Python's never did a radio show most people of their generation went through they did uh, they were in radio shows but there's not a Monty Python radio show no. that the TV show spins off and this is their radio yeah. show the chance to do mm. all the audio jokes and the person obviously and again how had this not occurred to me the person who steps up and says I'll do this is Eric Idle yeah. and Eric Idle is a frustrated rock star because yeah. he looks like <laughs> one and he hung out with George Harrison he loves his rock musicians and he's also a wordsmith. Yeah. He's the one who's just the verbal Python, who just likes the rhythm and the what They all like the rhythm and the weight of words. But he's the one who will write those long travel agent sketches yeah. that are just musical riffs on how good the words Watney's Red Barrel feel in your mouth. Uh, and did that lovely gibberish sketch for Rutland Weekend Television. If you've never heard oh, the, the gibberish... the first sketch, isn't it, in the first episode? And it's just... It's, it's, uh, it's literally gibberish from start to finish. <laughs> good evening and welcome. Foreskin mousetrap view Mount Everest in trail lobotomy in England. Saddlebag, saddle I see. Uh, rapidly piddle pot strumming Hanover piece pudding mouse rumpling cutlery corridor cabinets. Sick in a cup. George mm-hmm. M. whisper taps Sunderland shower curtain. Ice wallpaper cups crouchingly. Rubber king rap butter kissing feathers. Definitely pheasantry daughter. Successfully douche dinner bottom. Machine wrapped with butter. Machine wrapped with butter. <laughs> None of it makes any sense whatsoever, and it's delightful. And it's and that comes out in 1975, same year as this album. Yeah. He's doing lots of jokes in here that are just about what words sound like when you stick them next to each other. Yeah. And that is someone who likes audio, and that is someone who would have just knocked out of the park producing or putting together a radio series. Yeah, yeah. But the Python's radio series are these albums. Yeah. Some of the gags go 
passed so quickly that you, d- you don't even spot them in some cases. There was a tiny one that I noticed this morning, which was, um, and it's, it's, it is Eric Idle, I think, saying, um, Alf Venables, ex-father of Terry. And you go, hang on, ex-father? <laughs> That's not a thing. You managed to get one in there. How did yeah. you get that in there? Yeah, it's it's tiny. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. All the names as well where I mean, it's a joke I thought again I thought we'd made this joke up but we've been running this gag for ages where you choose a really well-known surname and bolt the wrong well-known <laughs> first name to it so it's like I don't know Chew N Garfunkel and things and they're doing that in this it's, yeah. it's Bob Gandy and things it's Jabba de Botton <laughs> um, Dave Lee Gaddafi um, Biggie Purvis this is obviously Python's what may have yeah. been their idea they may have got it from somewhere it may have been in the air it's a way of when you're listening to uh, a, a stream of gibberish mm. which there's lots of on this yeah. record especially when they're doing the story so far is a, is a which great I, one which I still can't follow which is, no oh, matter how yeah. many times I've listened to it I, I always play a thing when, at what point am I going to lose the plot here and it's you know it's invariably after about three or four elements of the story so far and then I kind of forget I cannot figure out what's going on it's meant anymore. to trip you up yeah, it's yeah. running at the speed and then I'll drop in a name and your ear will catch the fact that it was uh, whoever it will be uh, I don't know uh, Kissinger or something yeah. a name, and you're oh, oh is that and you're grabbing onto it like a piece of wood and by that stage they're already way past you and the story's moved on Peter Niesewand and Cyril Garfunkel arrive just in time with the Welsh police and the Halley Orchestra and proceed to sing a love song which allows Dr Indira McNaughton just enough time to cross the Alps into Geneva where he meets Con Rapp a kung fu fanatic and cat lover who frivolously shoots him but not before introducing him to lively intelligent Norwegian widow Lanny Crimpt there's that lovely yeah. feeling of, of just dropping that in like you might if you're writing a song put a put a proper name in put a girl's name in or a number yeah. to, as a hook to the ear and they use famous names from the news or from history to drop them in and to look like they're, they're markers for you to find your way through but actually they just help you get lost yeah 
My favourite bit on that is when he says, this they now do. Yeah. You know that bit? <laughs> Which you kind of just know you've heard in a million different things, but it's it's so right, but it's sort of, I still can't, it's yeah. great, isn't it, that? Assistant Sally Lesbitt is now the half-brother of a distant cousin of Rafe Vaughan Ding Ding A Dong, the Eurovision song, and owner of the Million Pound B-Day given by Hitler to Eva Brown as a mitzvah present during a state visit to Crufts, and which remained hidden, etc., etc., etc. This they now do. Meanwhile, Harold and Victor Medway III discover a newfound love for each other in a flashback near Devon. Where they There's a real delight in language in Python, yeah. though, isn't there? Constantly. They just, they love fucking about with words, don't they? Yeah. But it's, it's something we've talked about a lot. One of our favourite uh, joke structures is, is the bucket. You have a bucket, so it, it looks like a bucket, and you can put anything in a bucket. Yeah. So basically, when we do the Ladybird books, they look like a Ladybird book. We open them up, and we've just filled them with, with things that have nothing to do with that. But as long as the bucket looks like a bucket, and it hasn't got any holes in it, it won't leak nothing floods out and it again gives the audience something to push against they know what it is and the thing Python do brilliantly the gibberish sketch that uh, uh, Eric Idle wrote is exactly that is it looks like a chat show so you go it's a chat show and then within that they can just stir in a booyah base of nonsense but somehow you don't get lost so it's a the the bucket is an Arthurian epic and here the bucket is a soundtrack album or the bucket is even sports commentating yeah. some of it's got the rhythms of sports commentating yeah. so that at any point it's not just nonsense I'm struck by how much of vo- kind of an undercurrent of violence is on this <laughs> album as well because you've got Bader Meinhof in there yeah. yes. you have a bomb scare and in fact uh, an act of terrorism at the end yeah. of side one yep. um, and you also have like I mentioned earlier the bit with Michael Palin telling John Cleese to shut up but it, the way he says shut up seems to have such a level of aggression to it that is quite there's just something brimming under the surface here and I find this quite interesting you know 1975 at the height of a, you know a bombing campaign that they do an album where yeah. they actually have a bomb going off people forget um, how dangerous yeah. it was to and, be in a cinema at you know the time. I thought I, I think that's in, you know that's how uh, I, I can't imagine people really using that sort of material so close to an event like that and kind of they reflect their times mm. the, the, the sort of simmering anger Python's violence the fact that they've uh, some of it's done as pastiche because they're big fans of Peckin Par and yeah. Peckin Par salad days and, and obviously the Black Knight in the Holy Grail with the the properly at the time felt shocking violence but now when you show it to kids they've seen that joke yeah. evil yeah. dead too much blood yeah. thing yeah. used yeah. for comedy a lot but that was fairly savage and edgy at the time because I suppose what you forget is that the special effects for an arm coming off in 1975 look a bit comic now yeah. but that's the same special effects that would have been used in a Italian horror film yeah. so they've got that sense of there's a horror underneath this yeah. which comes I suppose opposed from what Python were very good at which is looking at the world and saying this is absurd violent and terrible and underneath all your politeness there's something nasty going on yeah and they're that kind of progresses well through Life of Brian obviously and then also I think uh, Meaning of Life the yes. film which I never really got when I was younger I always thought it was like oh that's the Python film I don't really like I, I don't really but having reached a certain age that film speaks much more to me now and <laughs> I find it? it hilarious and it is so kind of bleak but Meaning of Life's the film where they're old enough to actually play teachers and headmasters yeah. and colonels <laughs> and generals so they look there's a bit of they're not actually that old but they're sort of in their yeah. 40s and you go oh actually there's a weight yeah. and a weariness and a, a <laughs> And again, you're always following them. Say, what's the world like in, when, when I'm a grown up? You're yeah. peeping through that curtain, and they say to you, "Actually, lots of it's really shit." <clears throat> I mean, they've, they've always been my favourite 
uh, comedians my favourite comedy group has always been Python and I think really because of that because when you're younger and when you're first kind of uh, becoming introduced to this material you first discover the, 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 the kind of the Python material and the Python shows it's it's almost like they are your window into the real world and, and you almost get a sense that they're, they're kind of the old older kids in school that are taking you under their wing and you very much look up to them or I did and I, and I saw them as kind of you know mates that I wish I had around and could kind of hang out with and I think that even now I still go back to them for that sense of knowing when something's wrong and, and having the courage to speak out and say when something's wrong and they, they, you know and I think they they have that sort of it's almost like I, it's a kind of moral compass I find yeah. Python are very good at they have a kind of moral compass that I go to and, and you know I always kind of feel I'd like to know what their view on things is because yeah. and then I feel sane if you know George, George Harrison said George Harrison said exactly that he said he used to come back after doing whatever insane thing he'd done I imagine around the time what it was mainly doing was filling in legal letters about the Beatles money yeah. and he'd come back from a mad day with lawyers and sit down and Flying Circus would come on and he said everyone said it it was insane and he said it was the sanest half hour of the week it was the yeah. half hour that made me think oh thank god there's other people out there who think this is all nonsense as well because mm. what you forget python was up against was a sense that the world they were about to go into which ha- which was a world of being lawyers and doctors and rotarians and pillars of the community that that was somehow the sane world mm. and that spike milligan and round the horn and the things that they'd liked were mad and stupid yeah and they said no it's the other way around the, the people who are people with shell shock like Spike Milligan they're the sane ones yeah 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 and actually all you people pretending this is normal which is why they are I think very often I'm going to say a class thing I'm fairly middle class they are the patron saints of middle class yeah. people who've grown up going everyone's insane yeah why are you all pretending this is normal and their take on on that world is um very liberating I think having said that there's also some stuff on this album which is you know quite offensive to modern ears as well there is there um, is yeah, and I'm, I still yeah I can't quite see my way to seeing it you know certain yeah it's I think it's offensive yeah. <laughs> I think we're allowed to say that aren't yeah, we yeah um, it's strange that isn't it does, it does it affect your your enjoyment of the material because I basically I, I do find myself running a little script going okay it was 75 so mm. you have to forgive this yeah, attitude, whatever it is, but it do, it does it, it does jar a bit now, doesn't it? You do it hear does, it. and you know, and particularly in the the logician uh, sketch, yeah. um, there's something which I think is you know, no, you know, it's it's just offensive. Yeah, I, I, I know. I can't, the, yeah, I know yeah. the yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I cannot yeah. imagine anyone really yeah. seeing that as an acceptable. I think that's because you're saying you, you still regard them as you found them the first time as a moral compass, mm. and when they go, oh, actually, hang on, still part of us was was of our times. And you're t- it's a bit disappointing when you go, ah, you reached for something there. There's an attempt in a lot of their stuff, especially Eric Idle stuff, because he's great at this, to do a man of the world thing. Yeah. To say, to talk like a guy in a, not nudge, nudge, but talk like a guy in a bar who's got easy command of types of car and road names and associations and things that are the currency of adulthood. Yeah. And part of that sometimes, of that saloon bar ease with sort of man of the world, hey, we're all men here together, banter, is 70s banter where you use racial terms or mm. sexism or have an attitude to women that you occasionally get that view into into the saloon bar that's not yeah. very pretty mm. 
There's a strange fetish on this album with dubbing, isn't there? The yeah. shoe polish. Yeah. 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 I couldn't work that one out. Yeah. The Usherettes are selling it, aren't yeah. they? Broken in the, in glass and dubbing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, what's another lovely thing is when they do that, it's always on the fade. Yeah, yeah. They always say broken glass and dubbing on the fade, so your ears again go, did I hear them say broken glass and dubbing? Well, they tell you what, there's lots of great fade jokes on this. They do yeah. it a lot. There's yeah. so many jokes come in on the fade, which is a kind of classic staple kind of gag to do, but they, they, they do it brilliantly throughout this album, actually. That's, I reckon they yeah. nicked that from the Beatles, actually. I say nicked, that's yeah. a bit cruel. <laughs> I think they got that from the Beatles, because the Beatles were, I, unless I'm wrong, they were the first people to piss about with the fades, weren't they? They do it mm. on strawberry fields, yeah. where they Basically fade out. And, yeah, and then they fade in again. They played yeah. that joke, but also they've got stuff going on in the fade, like all this chaos and John yeah. Lennon going, cranberry sauce, you know, just so nonsense. Now, Father, rest you and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can hear a bit like, what, what was it, Douglas Adams said about Hitchhikers, I wanted to do comedy that sounded like a Pink Floyd album. Yeah. Yeah. And you can hear rock influences in this, and there's a shared values between rock music and yeah. and, um, and comedy, which again was one of the reasons that Python did so well in the States. They were mm. taken on board by rock musicians. Holy Grail was funded by The Who and Pink Floyd and things. There's a traffic backwards and forwards between avant-garde production techniques in, in rock music, progressive rock, and this record. Yeah. There's nothing more fun than listening to people who said, oh God, we can do anything. Mm. So they've got this kind of blank page. Although, I, I mean, I think one of the reasons these albums are so well kind of realised is perhaps down because they're, you know, in a sense, they they haven't got the freedom that maybe we think they have because they haven't got freedom. Well, they've got freedom with each other, but I would imagine, you know, that the, the group together, we know that it's a, a kind of very intense kind of comedy grouping. But, mm. you know, I imagine... You know, the, the story about how much stuff gets rejected and yes. their kind of voting system. What you're hearing mm. then is you're saying the only standards we are holding ourselves to are our own standards. Mm. Did you feel that when you were doing Dark Place that you were a gang who were, that it had to be good enough for you? Yes. And I'd say it was, I mean, by the end, I, 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 you know, it, it was pretty methodical, I think, the writing and that side of it. It wasn't, I mean, you, I think people the ideal is that you have a kind of comedy group that are constantly cracking each other up as they're writing this stuff and laughing their heads <laughs> off and it's all kind of, and the reality is uh, you know certainly in my experience and certainly from watching the extras on the on the Holy Grail <laughs> DVD um, it seems pretty tense it's you know rigorous. it's a tense shoot and there's a moment where John Cleese is kind of uh, he's just snapping in the middle of a take as he's playing the French taunter which is one of the funniest oh, scenes in oh, the film but you see thing. the filming of it on the extras and my god he's really snapping at Terry Jones <laughs> Many laughs are there in smoke? And yeah. We want to say, John, lots of laughs in smoke because we've just explained it. Listen to our podcast. We've got to get the atmosphere right or the jokes won't work. What a strange person. Now look here, my good man. I don't want to talk to you no more, you empty-headed animal food trough whopper. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. French Taunter is something I know off by heart. It's in mm. my DNA. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. Everyone can do it. It's in, I, oh, God, that's gibberish. It hadn't occurred to me. Again, it's just falling words. Yeah. Mm. It's just words. Someone has sat down, John Cleese or someone, and said, what are the funniest yeah. set of words? And each one of those words has been decided on which one follows this, yeah. which one follows this with precision and pace. It's not gibberish. What none of their stuff is, is... We're only accountable to ourselves. Therefore, let's get drunk and write any old rubbish. Mm. That's. I think that's... Um 
you know, Cleese and Chapman were the ones who wrote what I think Palin and Jones called the thesaurus sketches, where you would just have a thing being told to you, the same piece of information being imparted to you in as many different ways yeah. as possible. A moistened bint lob- lobbing a scimitar at me. Yeah. Cleese yep. and Chapmanist line yep. ever because you went. Yeah. You Some just said that just tart, now. You know, and yeah. here are the other words that are for wet woman yeah. sword. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, and uh, so the uh, parrot sketch is just that. It's dyed. It's rung up, up the curtain. Yeah. It's joined the choir invisible. And I think this is this has got to be a, a, a Cleese and Chapman bit, the French taunter, hasn't it? Because it is basically that's the same technique, but they've gone. Let's have someone who doesn't know how to insult in English. Yeah. That way, we can put a variety of what appear to be insults in their mouths, which don't really work out. Electric donkey bottom biter, you know. It's, it's, like it's got the same. It just occurred to me. It's a cousin of Hungarian phrase book from yes, Flying Circus. Yes. My hovercraft is full of veals. Yeah. With where the guys uh, got a phrase book which has just got the wrong translations in it. So it's someone with authority in an accent delivering English polysyllables that don't quite go together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just couldn't take anything seriously, could they? That's what I, I that's what I love about them most, I think, is that there is that lack of safe spaces. Just going, no, no, I'm not gonna let you move. There's gonna be a laugh in the way. Or the and, and the anti-ending, which I think is yeah. sort of touched on earlier with the kind of frustration of getting the film going, listening to this record. Yeah. But also, you know, obviously the film has an anti-ending, but the record does as well in a really great way. Um, oh God! And it's beautiful. Just isn't ends it? with Terry Jones wandering off and closing the office door. The end yeah. uh, film ends mainly visually. Yeah, but I remember which is like, a better ending than the film. I think. Yeah, actually, yeah. and in fact, the ending of the film, where the film just runs out of the gate, happens. In, on the album earlier, doesn't it? They, they actually the film runs it runs slow at some point. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It, it, it's yeah, 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 that's right. No, now go away, or I shall taunt you a second time. I think what I really love about the album as well is it kind of feels it's in, in, having you know, went to see the Pythons on their kind of you know farewell tour, which mm. was, and you got a real sense that oh my god, they're so, you know they've been such a huge part of our lives. But even now, listening to this album, you get a sense that they're kind of they kind of nailed what being British has <laughs> and always will be like because in a sense I, I keep getting this sense of like how shit the country's going to go <laughs> yeah, very soon um, it, and it's kind of all there in this album because it's got the aspiration of wanting to have bought the more the executive version of this yeah. record knowing that basically if you buy the normal one it's going to be shit so you buy the executive version and even that shit and even that they can't get that right because bits that- of the shit version have, <laughs> have sort of crept into the executive version so it's full of mistakes and it's all full of errors all the executive yeah. Is, is a label yeah. this is a cousin of there's a, a lovely episode of Flying Circus which John Cleese introduces from a greasy spoon calf and it says yeah. live from the Grillo Mat <laughs> snack bar and it's in the same way they would have done live from London's glittering yeah. West End this is a pastiche of that very thin veneer of London Palladium yeah. Saturday big night out Bruce Forsyth high kicking chorus girl glamour that it's, the 70s attempted to manage over the top of I don't know bin bags piling up in Leicester Square yeah, I mean, this is the f- the feel of this album is a little bit, you know, in the in the series where you've got the Eric Idle character who's constantly he's he's the, he's the nightclub host and he's constantly sort of wringing his hands oh. together, his oily hands, and he's sort of smoothing down the front of his trousers. And a lot of this album comes from the toilets, you know, the the gents yes. in. Yes. So there's that kind of feel that you know they're trying to. It's just what there's a really sleazy kind of atmosphere to this album. Blackmail, yeah. Yeah. Where the, yeah. the address is behind the hot water pipes at yeah. Victoria Station. I'm fascinated. 
fascinated by that seedy side mm. of Britain. I mean, I know you are. Yeah. Especially when you look back to your childhood and you realise that, that it was paper thin, that ever since Suez, yeah. ever since the loss of empire, Britain has been pulling its Timbrook Taylor Union Jack waistcoat yeah. over an ever-expanding gut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Underneath it all, it's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the fact they turn it on themselves as well. You know, they have the gala premiere of the of the film, the premiere, which is involves in all the major Hollywood stars dying in a huge pileup. Yeah. And the audio pitch yeah. is amazing. Who's that coming through, through the, the windscreen? Yeah. <laughs> well, they, well, I tell you what, there's an image because I've always that's the that's the line I've always ended up laughing so much on. But listening to this properly in preparation for this, I notice there's a line that comes after that, which is great. And he thinks it's Faye Dunaway. He's got a head caught in the wheel of a flaming <laughs> Ford, and he mistakes goes, "No, it's not Faye Dunaway. It's it's Victor Mature." And you've got the sound of the car revving its wheel. So you've got this image of the tire and the wheel spinning on the side of this poor star's head and as it's catching fire. They're so mutilated you can't tell whether it's a man or a yeah, woman. Yeah, yeah. And I'd always miss that one because I was always laughing at, you know, Barbara Streisand flying through the window. But there's the image afterwards that's even more horrific. <laughs> One of the things that is always good with Python, not only do they get the right amount of smoke for a historical epic John Cleese, but they get the phrasing of a sports report right, yeah, or they yeah. get the phrasing of a celebrity red carpet report right. You learn that, listen to this as a, as a kid, that if you get it roughly right, it won't be funny. I remember recording audio tapes when you're about nine mm. or ten for your own amusement, going, I'm going to write a sketch, I'm going to do a parody of something. I remember doing what I still am cringing inside me telling this story, and I did a tennis report. And I said that the score was one nil and someone said it's not, it's love, a fifteen love. And I didn't never seen a tennis match before in my life. Yeah. I didn't know to, but I didn't know that. And I remember th- I still feel the shame that I hadn't yeah. researched <laughs> it properly on a tape I did for my brother when I was nine. Yeah. Python teach you, do your homework, yeah. listen, and then it will be funnier. And even even now, you, you know, the, you, they have such broad knowledge of so many things that you know they'll come up with something that you don't know about, and you go, "Oh, I better go and <laughs> go do some homework." It's pre Wikipedia. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's so easy yeah. now to just leave all the tabs open whenever you're doing any writing and just put, go down research holes, and you can. I can know the names of all the trade associations yeah. quite quickly. They would have had to. I don't know, look in the yellow they had, pages. They had a researcher on Flying Circus, didn't they? Patricia Hulahan. Wow, she was, actually, work, she was just employed the whole time for research. Because there's loads of it in there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, there really is. But yeah. that, that influences then generations on who go, you've got to do your research, which is why Horrible Histories has got Greg Jenner giving them the proper history to so that those sketches, sketch gang mm. who are basically kids, Python for that generation, mm. were doing stuff with a solid granite because they knew, or Blackadder, they knew those people that you mustn't get this wrong. And I love the sense also that it is that value for money thing that you know the the, effort, the extra effort they put into every element of everything they put out you know you've seen the film we're not going to give you just the film we're going to do you know make something extra special and I think that is I think that's why you just Oh, that's why I keep going back to them because you get a sense that they are they kind of really care about what they're doing they care about yeah. their audience that's yeah. odd because that's the central joke the central joke is this is a bit crap this is not the executive version yeah. but the meta joke is it is the executive yeah. version because they have really worked on this yeah. Yeah. they've worked Absolutely. to make it sound this yeah. shit yeah. <laughs> 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 
you're talking about where the jokes are and where the levels are and when you write something sometimes you don't know that's there until you yeah. put the whole thing together and there's a layer of the film which is happening in the middle ages and then on top of that is a layer of the filmmakers which is where the soundtrack's in there yeah. and where there are jokes about I don't know, rostrum cameras and animation and things and then on top of that is the, the way the film's been edited and then when you get to the LP there's two more layers above that about the making of it but all those layers have got to be judged to not get in each other's way mm. and I mean, again that's a that's a thing that I can see in Dark Place that the that the layers of the narrative with you probably sort of driving one of the layers and Richard mm. maybe driving the other have got to learn when to step back well, and lean on each other interesting we never I mean we never had uh, we never knew exactly what to do with it right up until you know we'd filmed everything I think I'm right on this and I think Channel 4 said we need we need to have Garth introducing them which we didn't have at that point we, we kind that of had done it. I think so if I, I've got to think back I think that's right I think we went and shot those separately and then put them on afterwards I'm Garth Marenghi, horror writer. Most of you will probably know me already from my extensive canon of chillers, including Afterbirth, in which a mutated placenta attacks Bristol. And it was never it was always a bit of a gamble as to whether or not the the kind of the show within a show within a show thing worked or whether we had too many levels or not we knew we kind of if we did it in one episode we'd have to kind of do the same for the others to kind of get the premise through and it's quite a hard premise to kind of sell and was indeed the reason they um, didn't um, commission anything further than that because they thought it was just too difficult for for an audience to kind of get into but so yes we never quite it was always we were never quite sure that we had the right combination of ways in to the to the premise Mm. of the show you know but oddly I remember thinking that when Dark Place was on thinking this is a new way of doing this and I'd not seen anything like it before and then about five years later when Blu-ray came out real films and real stuff especially mm. lost stuff was suddenly coming out and being repackaged with the stars explaining it yeah or yeah whenever you saw a documentary on BBC4 they wouldn't show you the thing again yeah it would weirdly be a dark place format which is the people talking about what it felt like to make it and it was a parody of something that television and films were going to start doing soon but hadn't done yet. yeah yeah we never thought that we were doing anything that hadn't been done previously and we just thought we were kind of doing a spinal tappy way into a, a horror series mm. yeah um I think the the reason I think these things either work or they don't is what you're talking about is, is the conviction that you, the characters that you create for that world they have to believe in that world and the moment you yeah. start pushing the parody beyond the reality that the, the audience is, is kind of accepting if you start to kind of give a knowing wink at the wrong point you throw that reality out and then it, and then it kind of doesn't work so it was always important that the characters that we had believed in those interviews they were doing in and around the show they believed in the show and, that, and you just play it real and then you can kind of muck around and do the over the top stuff in the actual program because you then just cut back to them outside going well yeah well the reason we did that was because you know (laughs) so you kind of there is that tension all the time between pushing it too far and and reining yourself back in but I think it's that's the hardest thing I think with these things and that's why this this you know this album indeed the film does it so well because the the conviction of the story and and the kind of the narrative is underpinning everything we have a thing with everything we do in pastiche which I think is is very similar to that isn't where's the conviction the you should be able to see the people making this through the thing yeah that you should be able to see and obviously Dark Place is a great example of that because they come on screen and account for themselves but we always like to work out who's making this and if you've worked that out and got that covered the audience 
will they won't know why they feel safe mm. but when we did the family examiner we worked out who all the journalists were and who was underpaid and who been yeah. promoted yeah, yeah, yeah. so you could see you could look through the thing and see more of it and I think with, with Python you can always look through and see who's making it yeah. with Dark Place you can look through the thing and see who's making it and when we did Kunk our central joke was that it wasn't Diane's fault that this was bad yeah. and it wasn't the expert's fault that this was bad it was the production team yeah. or the commissioner someone has hired the wrong person and as soon as you work that out and went okay so we don't put any jokes on the experts we don't put many jokes really on Diane she's doing the best she can yeah. definitely your question is who the hell made this yeah. series and we'd sit down and go I think it's someone who, you had a theory that maybe the producer was in love with her or something <laughs> yeah the producer's in love with Philomena Kunk yeah. Philomena Kunk is not clever enough to be in love back yeah. so uh, basically the producer has got to put Philomena Kunk in front of himself the whole time yeah, yeah. and also that answers the question which always people are asking with pastiche which is when you make a mistake a really funny like someone trips over or yeah. gets a word wrong who didn't edit that out yeah so the next question is okay well how did that make that yeah. into the finished thing which, they, which the pythons are really good at and you're really good at is going this has got through because you cut back and Garth goes I loved that I th- and I also think it's beyond uh, it works as and I think you're absolutely spot on I think, and it works for kind of serious fake footage films and mockumentaries or, or you know fake documentaries it's why something like the Blair Witch Project works perfectly yeah. because you don't you know exactly who's made it why who had the cameras how many cameras it's they had it's surprising how much an audience will yeah. even if they can't articulate what they don't trust will yeah. go hang on he wouldn't have filmed that that's right and the what? ones that don't work have all, make all those mistakes where you just you know they're, they're not thinking about who's made it and why There's no, they're not following an internal an internal logic you feel it in yeah. your heart when mm. someone trips and they show a character knocks over a glass table and they would have cut that out there's yeah. a brilliant one in Kung Kong Christmas I think where Diane sits down and accidentally kicks the table that she's yeah. interviewing Jay Rayner on but they cut soon enough to imply they didn't have the interviewee for long enough to reshoot that bit yeah, and yeah. I go right I buy that it's yeah. fine but it's really funny that she clouts it accidentally Diane didn't mean to clouts the table with her knee and all the cro- crockery goes jumps <laughs> great <laughs> to see any demons on the board and I'm particularly observant so go back to your lab and make me a pill that can cure manners or I'll kick your ass so hard you'll be able to build a pole in the footprint understood as crystal this for me is one of the strangest Python album, albums purely for accents because there are <laughs> they're, they're kind of they're, ne- they're accents that can neither be replicated nor kind of correctly defined there are some performances here Terry Jones Michael Payne they're doing such brilliant accents and and there's an internal logic to the the accent it's following the right kind of but I can't pin down what it is meant to be or it's they're just beautiful performances but I've never heard accents like them I think this Terry Jones when he's I can't even describe it when he's I think the bomb announcement the management of this theatre wished to announced that they have received certain information to suggest that there may be a bomb located on the premises. Yeah, I think they're wonderful. <laughs> Just strange, very strange. That answers. goes back to the Rowan Atkinson thing of mm. giving people something to hook onto. They're making choices. I mean, all the way through. The, the, maybe that's the essential joy of Pythons. You're hearing people making clever choices mm. all the time. Yeah. It's rare that they make the wrong choice. In fact, you can remember the moments when you sat through Flying Circus and went, oh, this isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> and it's usually because they've made one wrong choice. Actually, if you, if you get the script book of Holy Grail, I'm assuming we've all got it, 
Um, all the stuff that uh, that fell out of the uh, original draft of it, um, it's all very funny, but you kind of look at it and you go, you're absolutely right. Yep, yep. Yeah. You put Harrods in here and this film just goes all over the place. But yeah. actually, if you stick to yeah. keeping it as an Arthurian epic and at the very end, the police come in and arrest the film, that's fine. You can yeah. get away with that gag. But if you got, if you went from Arthurian epic to Harrods, yeah. it, it's, it's a completely different world, isn't it? There's one part of this album that actually does it seems to me to break the logic slightly and that's the the, the sketch about um, Marilyn Monroe being <laughs> reanimated because that kind of becomes a, it's a, proper a sketch. sketch within the world of the thing and I you know the only way you can kind of think it's happening is they're cutting away to a TV thing why would they put that yeah. on the record yeah, yeah actually it feels like that's a favourite sketch that didn't make it to yeah. series 4 of Python so they want to put it in that's a good sketch it is a great it is great yeah it you're is. right again you feel it in your water that yeah. this doesn't belong here no matter how good it is you go that's just slightly wrong I, I bet you're right about that I bet that fell out of the out of the TV scripts because it was just too it was too revolting or it was too difficult to um, to do because yeah. if you try and think about how would you visualise mm. this you know you're interested Carol Cleveland in zombie makeup it's not nice no it's, it all gets very <laughs> difficult doesn't it it's all to do with again making choices and making sure they're the right choices and one of those choices you have to make sometimes is to ditch something brilliant mm. but that in that original draft where they go and do the raid on Harrods to get the grail there's a brilliant bit because God is the getaway driver <laughs> and there's a brilliant bit as they're trying to get away from Harrods and he's crunching the gears in the car and they go quick 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 and he goes I'm sorry I'm used to automatics <laughs> and I thought that was a brilliant line and I imagine in a room where someone says can we lose that you're going, oh, we lose God for yeah. not being able to drive yeah. manual cars. That's a brilliant job. And you go, well, that's okay. It will go in the book. People will remember it. That seems very similar to The Bishop as well, which is hands down my favourite Python sketch the ever. The Bishop. Yeah. That is, well, that <laughs> okay, Devious. Which is a an ITC action yeah. programme parody, like The Avengers or, or Anything Jason that King. mixes God with guns is the funniest... <laughs> Well, okay, actually, no, that sounds terrible. No, not anything that makes people look No. ISIS. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll backtrack on that slightly. Um, any, any comedy show that connects the idea of a deity oh, with... See, again, um, you've made yeah. a choice there. Yeah, you've limited... Maybe. Yeah, Wrong all... choice, and we'll edit that out. Um, <laughs> but that is hands down. I don't think I've howled harder than watching The Bishop. That is the... That, as a kid, that was the thing it's, that made me... Terry Jones marching up and down, Python. chewing gum, swinging yeah. a crook. That's it with when they the Peter Gunn theme underneath. It's just the guys, all the vicars walking through the street, just barging people aside <laughs> and smoking cigarettes. They've got everything right. The mm. titles that Terry Gilliam does for that look exactly like a Lou Grade ITV yeah. style action hard yeah. man thing. They're not crap. They're exactly yeah. as good as the real ones. Proper animated titles. Yeah. Mm. Wasn't the um, wasn't the tagline for the poster campaign for Holy Grail makes Ben Hur look like an epic? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that's so satisfying, isn't it? Because as well, <coughs> apart from that's a good gag. Also, it's telling the truth. Is yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Do you know what this um, this film is going to look exactly as, as cheap as you'd expect it to yeah. on the budget we had? I'm going to ask you if you remember this because I remember this being on a Garth Marenghi flyer because making your publicity material. For Funny. Yeah, Python's yeah. are great at that. Yeah. In fact, the, the flyers and the posters are really funny. On one of the original Garth Marenghi flyers, there was a brilliant one of those where, where you've clipped a review out yeah. and clipped the right words out of it to make it look good. And it's obvious what that originally was. And it made me laugh so much. And now I can't fucking remember it. I think it's, yeah, it's something, uh, yeah. Uh, 
at dot 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 15,000 words or something dot 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 this dot dot is dot 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 good just <laughs> <laughs> pieced together <laughs> we've tried a few of these haven't we we've done we've done this dot 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 film um, and one that goes dot 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 very good at all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when we did both those in front of me it was me but, trying to top the Garth well, Ringy that is, one that's going, better that's better than our one well, that works better I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't like have done it without <laughs> your one and we're looking at it going oh I wish I'd thought of that and it, that's another comedy thing that what Python does and what that got that Garth Ringy joke did I looked at it and went I wish I'd thought of that I'll go and see what someone's done with a joke and you either try and equal it or top it great thing about great comedy that you grow up with is it sets a bar that you try and get over yeah. or at least try and get to and occasionally you go oh thanks to someone else giving me the keys to this joke I can then get in that joke and drive off at great speed that's it and I always think we're all uh, you know I've always felt I'm just copying my favourite kind of God. comedians in, the, yeah. in a way you know I always feel, talk oh, to musicians is, musicians always say that this is I'm too python to this is too python that's always what you think I think yeah it's yeah. all we got that someone said um, on Twitter this week they said I feel I'm in a cunk I keep expecting Desmond Olivier Dingle from the National Theatre of Brent to wander about in the back yeah. so I was tweeted back and went no you're absolutely spot on I hadn't even spotted yeah, that yeah. I was a huge fan of National Theatre of Brent on Channel 4 I think it went in I will take that as a compliment that we're even in the same ballpark but I loved that hmm. so happy to you were yeah. always in the shadow of the people who you thought were the best yeah I mean we, when we first started doing I remember you know the the first voice that we did for Garth, for Garth was very I mean it was just an Alan Partridge rip off that's all it was really? and it took ages to get the voice you and it was just it? yeah which, it was, you know it really was just you know, and that's what that's what a lot of the people kind of said to start with oh well, this you know this unbearably appalling Alan Partridge <laughs> impersonation <laughs> No. But there you go. That should have been on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> it's got it's had such endurance though, hasn't it, Garth Moringa? It's incredible. When when the when the series that mm. um that you were so brilliant in that we wrote, Angstrom Angstrom well, no, no one's can no one knows how to pronounce it, that's one of the jokes, isn't it? Got publicity material. I think I had about three hundred messages from complete strangers saying, Ask him to do more dark place. Because <laughs> that's know. how it works, isn't it? Because the only only reason you haven't done any more is because no one's asked. Yeah, that's what it is, you know. If I if, 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 if I get three hundred and two, or then I might. Yeah, yeah. That's I'll think about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Matt Holness, thank you for coming on. Thank Rule you very three. much. It's been an absolute pleasure. How lovely. 